Today, I'm joined by Brad Rowland of the Locked On Hawks podcast to discuss if Atlanta could be better than New York this year. Is it a make or break season for Trey Young? And how would Atlanta have to rebuild this team around Young if they're not great this season? All that and more right now on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. And today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50-plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. And I want to thank you for becoming an everydayer um, because that means you've subscribed and hit that notifications bell on YouTube. If you haven't done so, please do so and do the same on the audio side. Now you can text us by just clicking the subtext link in the episode description uh, whenever you want. And we'll send you a bunch of texts with our latest thoughts on the Knicks. Um, before we get into it, Brad, small note, um, I was having some major internet issues during this episode. So there's going to be a couple of times where I'm talking and it, it cuts off a little bit or Brad's talking and you see me frozen in an extremely stupid face, which, which, which should be an encouragement for all of you to watch on YouTube because it, it's very funny. Um, and uh, yeah, on the audio side, you shouldn't notice too much because I went back in and fixed it. But if you're watching on YouTube, just a heads up that I will uh, probably be frozen with a stupid face, but it only affected a couple small parts of the episode. So without further ado, this is a really fun conversation. We talk about the Knicks and their most hated rival, Trey Young, right now on Locked on Knicks. Now, what that actually means is interesting because, you know, internally they want to be a top six seed. And that's going to be the goal for every team in this range is going to be, hey, we want to be a non-playing team. But for this Hawks team after... Uh, the last two years of being in the play-in with high expectations, they're going to hope and bank on being better than that. I, I'm with, I, I agree with that focus. Whether they're going to be the six seed, seven seed, eight seed, whatever it's going to be, is kind of you know interesting to me. I would lean to like improvement from last year. I do think the coaching upgrade certainly is going to help them, but um, I also don't think that you would reason to put them in the top three or four either. Um, but even then, like there's there's probably more uncertainty at the top than there was this time a year ago with teams like Milwaukee and Boston made changes and Philly's got all the uncertainty. So it feels like super wide open. And I think maybe the Hawks are going to talk themselves into uh, that being some optimism for them too. Yeah, it really, I mean, it's something we've, we've been doing this previews all around the Eastern Conference. And I, I know we, we talked to John Corrales and he's pretty confident that Boston's going to end up being the one or two seed at the end of this year. I, I think with the baked in injury risk for Chris Stapps, Porzingis and them, maybe leaning a little bit further into Missoula ball, that could be a good or bad thing. Milwaukee, obviously they, they have the Chris Middleton issue. I, I'd be shocked if they fell out of the top two or three, but Philly, such a big question mark. Obviously uh, Cleveland, really, really good, but can they sustain it? year over year, like there's a world like you could tell me we've talked about on the show where the Knicks are the two seed or Atlanta is the three seed. And I, I wouldn't say that I'd say that's more, those are more like 10 to 15% possibilities than like 1% possibilities. Um, what, what does it look like if everything works for Atlanta this year? Like, like if they hit their ceiling, what, what has to happen? I think the simple explanation is essentially an elite offense, which they have been for large swaths the last couple of years but also elite offense and not terrible defense, if that makes sense. Uh, I think their their entire kind of theory of the case 
right now with this roster and with Trey Young and all that is to build a great offense and just hope to be good enough defensively. And last year they weren't as good as they wanted to be on offense. This uh, and they also were pretty bad defensively. I think they they do think that they kind of found their stride offensively when Quinn when Quinn Snyder got there. That would be very helpful. But at the same time, I, I do think that like if it all comes together, you're looking at a situation where they are. I don't know, you know, top five offense and like the, you know, 18th defense, something like that. And that would be a, a translation to be like a, you know, high forties kind of win team, maybe, maybe even low fifties and things where things that's kind of the best case reasonable scenario. Obviously Hawks fans will want to see even better than that. Cause that's the nature of fandom, but you know what I mean? Like I think awesome offense. And then you just hope for a top 20 defense to kind of piece it together. And, and, and what, what do you think the difference having a full year under Quinn Snyder makes? I mean, top five offense that, that is, that is kind of the first thing I would look towards obviously in Utah. Like he, he kind of created magic around Donovan Mitchell. I mean, you, you saw, you saw the talent level on that team and it didn't scream best offense in basketball or top three offense in basketball year after year. And they always seem to be in that mix. I would argue Atlanta is at least on paper, almost better positioned. And maybe a lot of it comes down to what we're going to talk about in a second, which is how Trey young does and how he fits in with DeJounte Murray. But it feels like they could have that ceiling if everything clicks. Quinn Snyder is just that good of an offensive coach. Yeah, I mean, number one, Snyder is really good. And number two, like this Hawks team was a – they were top two or three in the league two years ago in offense yeah. with a roster that isn't much different. I mean, it's there's been some minor changes on the margins, but the formula is still the same of playing through Trey Young and having a pick-and-roll big and having hopefully some more shooting around him. Last year, one of their deficits not to go crazy deep in the Hawks, but – they didn't have enough shooting last year. They, they just didn't have enough shooting. And if you're going to build your team around offense, you just, you got to have shooting and they didn't have enough of it. So I, I do think that the combination of a roster that's proven uh, a star that, you know, while it's certainly controversial, I think hopefully people can agree. Trey Young is an awesome offensive player, uh, an awesome creator, one of the best um, individual creators, pick and roll creators in the league, having that guy and enough pieces around him and, and, a, and a coach who I think, uh, the generous way that I've put it recently is like a little bit more modern in the approach than the, what Nate McMillan was doing previously when I think he was not maximizing the talent that they had. So I think obviously we haven't seen it on a large scale yet, but I do think that Quinn Snyder and his uh, history that you, that you point to with Utah, I made the same comparison. Like the, the roster and the talent was not, you could argue it maybe it was a little bit better in Utah, but it was not demonstrably better than what he than what he has in Atlanta. And they were a perennial, you know, 48 to 52 kind of win team. With good, with good offenses, and yeah, they had Rigo Bear to anchor the defense. That definitely matters. But they were able to build good offenses, even with talent that was, again, like not out of this world. And I think, you know, Trey Young, you could argue, may, might be the best piece he's ever had at the point of attack just on offense. You know, Mitchell is really good too. But it's interesting to kind of see all those pieces together. But he's, of course, the key to everything. You know, they, there are other X, other X factors for sure. But Trey Young is going to get all the attention for better or worse, and uh, he's very good. So that, that's very helpful. So I have a I have a weird relationship with Trey Young because obviously he is he's a villain um yes. to, to, to Nick Fandom <laughs> to to an almost absurd extent where I, I think both sides are guilty of it. Like I think I think not even just Hawks fans, but NBA fans in general, kind of like every time Trey plays the Knicks, it feels like that is a, a disproportionately large storyline. Then I think Knicks fans tend to take the bait and they tend to blow it up and then there are, are constant comparisons now between him and Jalen Brunson, at least um in Nick's circles. Um run with Trey and my concern with him was always do his teammates like him do they like playing with him and I always go back to his time at Oklahoma where he was a freshman and he came in and he was this incredible phenom was like leading the country in scoring was leading the country and assists was, was carrying Oklahoma to win after win and I felt like everyone on the team was just was just annoyed by this um I, I, I don't know if this is an appropriate term but I'm going to say a virtuoso pipsqueak that was taking every shot <laughs> controlling every possession and in some ways it feels like 
that's almost translated to the NBA where, where he is, is undeniably a basketball genius and, and, and a brilliant passer at that. And yet it sometimes feels like his teammates don't love playing with him. I wonder if last year exacerbated those feelings at all, given that it was um, one of the le- least efficient years of his career. Um, but all that being said, under Quinn Snyder, I feel like he has a chance to have somewhat of a comeback year, have a monster, monster season. Um, I guess I don't even know what my question is, but <laughs> what, 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 what's the vibe like around Trey Young at this point? Like, is it optimism? Is it pessimism? Where, where are you at with him? It's, it's really interesting. Like, I, I think that, and I made this point on my show, and look, I, I'm not seen, especially locally, I, I'm not like a zealot. Like, I'm, I'm not a, a super fanboy. That's kind of, I, I have a reputation for being pretty negative sometimes, or maybe not necessarily negative, like skeptical. I try to be a little bit more kind of, kind of detached. And like, I feel like Trey Young is underrated now nationally. And that surprises me because, you know, usually a guy who is 6'1", doesn't really play a lot of defense and averages the numbers that he averages. And I'm someone who values defense. Like that guy is almost set up to be overrated, like as, as a default, because, you know, huge numbers doesn't, you know, all that stuff. And I feel like he, in not, not every circle, like some people are more reasonable about it, but like, I see him get ranked in like the thirties and forties in these top hundred rankings. And like, you know, it feels like it's almost gone too far. And, and I get the skepticism. Look, he, it is tough to build around that guy. I will certainly grant that. Um, I, if it was a, you know, a vacuum situation, you can pick whatever you want. I would not want to start my team with a six, one point guard who is a, not a very good defender. It, it would be tough to do that at the highest level, but that's he's the best player they've had in a long, long time. And this is what they've done. And that makes a lot of sense through that prism. And like, yeah, I, I think that his rep, is probably worse than it should be. I think that um, he had some trouble as a young guy playing with teammates. I, I think not everyone loves playing with him. I will I will grant that. I think it, it, there are guys, though, that get along well with Trey. Like, I don't think he's this, like, super negative um, locker room presence or this. I, I also think he's, he's actually matured quite a bit, even with the media, which doesn't really matter. You know this. Like, he's gotten a lot more, like, introspective, and, like, he'll, he'll take accountability in a way he didn't used to when he was a young player, that kind of thing. Like, you just see the growth every day of watching this guy. So long story short, I, I think that – He's really good at offense. I think he has improved in some in some certain categories. But even last year, I would call it a down year for him by his standards. And now that's impressive when like you still look at what he was able to do both on the court with the team and also his performance. Like he was still a really good player, but it was not a great year for him. And he has to be better for the Hawks to be where they want to be. I think he acknowledges that. They acknowledge that. So like I, I think it's weird, honestly, the discourse around him. I'm sure it's even weirder in New York where you talked about him being the villain and all that stuff. That's kind of funny. I think he leaned he leaned, leaned into it too, admittedly. Like he went on WWE, all those things like made it a bigger deal than it probably needed to be. But I think that he's it's kind of weird like how much it's gone the other way. I, I would have guessed that he would always be probably overrated. And I feel like it's not necessarily the case right now, which maybe that comes with back-to-back playing teams and him being the best player on those teams and kind of just getting, you know, some people just dismiss him as this like, yeah, he's just a guy. And like, I think he's, he's not just a guy. He's, he's really good. It's just that he has weaknesses and places that you wouldn't necessarily want to build around. Yeah, I think it's funny because whenever we, and we've had plenty of time to talk about it this offseason, whenever we rank where Jalen Brunson is amongst other point guards in the NBA, my defense for having him quite high on those lists is always what he did in the playoffs, how dominant he was those final three games against Miami, and saying you, you look at a De'Aaron Fox, and he hasn't done that in his career. You look at a Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and he hasn't done that in his career. But I can't say that about Trey Young. Like he, he did it at MSG, he did, did it. it against the Knicks. He did it against the Sixers team that was imploding, but still had Joel Embiid and, and Ben Simmons on it. 
And then that series against Milwaukee was closer in some ways than I think some people remember with, with a bunch of injuries, including Trey and Giannis on both sides. Um, but we don't, we don't have to go back because that's, that was a dark time for Knicks fans. Um, but anyways, I, I say that to say like, like, like proof of concept, like he got his team to the final four. And, and, and if you're the best player on a final four team, those guys are extraordinarily hard to find. And presumably that was at, at this point um, two bordering on three seasons ago, you would expect him to be even better and you'd expect him to be able to do that again, whether he can, whether you can do that with DeJounte Murray. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and so much more. I've been looking at those NBA over-unders. My Knicks, uh, we've been insulted. 44 and a half is the line for the Knicks. Uh, I think that is way too low. They won more games last year. They should be better this season. Um, So I am all in on that. The Atlanta Hawks, 41 and a half. Maybe a little bit of disrespect there as well. If you expect them to be better this year, they will certainly do better than that. So whether you're a Knicks fan, whether you're a Hawks fan, you can go on FanDuel. You can prove those haters in Vegas wrong. Um, and if you want to do that, visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off both the NFL and the NBA season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, let, let's, let's keep it going. Trey Young, DeJounte Murray. Um, match made in heaven. Uh, on paper, some people thought last season, some real questions offensively. Defensively, I was all in on, wow, that, that's, so, that's so smart. DeJounte is going to cover up for Trey. Um, it's going to get Trey off the ball a little bit more, maybe especially once Quinn took over, he's going to lean in a little bit more into being his inner Steph Curry and, and, and operate as a massive, massive magnet, drawing the attention off of defenses. And, and you hear the uh, ambulances going by Brad because it didn't work out that way. It was, and it wasn't, maybe it wasn't a disaster that would necessitate an emergency vehicle, but I, I don't think it was quite as clean as, as people in Atlanta probably hoped. Um, what, what are fair expectations for this season for the duo? And what, what are kind of the key things that they have to figure out? I think it would be fair to say it didn't go the way they thought it was going to go. And I'm glad you also clarified it. What it wasn't a disaster. It's like, it'd be easier to talk about if it just co- completely not worked and, you know, let's just light this thing on fire and start over again kind of thing. And, you know, it, it's more nuanced than that. Like the numbers were not, great when they played together but they were pretty good the problem honestly was that they still had the same problem that they've always had with trey when he leaves the court they couldn't sustain it and part of the theory of the case i'm sure my listeners will probably laugh at when i say this again was that the the hawks brought in murray not only to play with trey but also to have a team that could actually function with trey off the court and that theory did not work at all they they were still terrible when when he left the floor all all the time basically and also defensively Dejounte was not the guy that they thought he was going to be and maybe he will be in year two um, but he took a, a real step down from where he was a couple of years ago in San Antonio. I was kind of hearing that from Spurs fans. I don't know how plugged you plugged in and you are on the Spurs last couple of years. I'm sure not not as much as some, including me. But I was asking around like, "Hey, how's Dejounte's defense?" And people who cover Spurs were like, "Kind of, you know, it's not not great anymore. Like he's not a stopper like he used to be." And that was certainly showing up on tape. So that's number one for me, which is kind of weird. I'm sure to hear if you're a Knicks fan, like my, my number one talking point is defense with Trey and with Trey and Dejounte, but. They got to be better defensively because the Hawks, I mean, no matter what happens, they can't be as bad as they were at the point of attack last year defensively or nothing else matters. They were that bad where it just, you can't, you can't cover it up. So that's, that's number one. But offensively, I think not to put it all on Quinn Snyder, but I think having a guy who's a little bit more innovative puts guys in, in positions to succeed and has, has experience playing with, you know, Mitchell and Conley, for instance, in Utah, a couple of point guards or at least point guard adjacent players playing together, smaller guys. And, you know, it's not, not like an easy fit like a glove kind of thing with Trey and DeJounte, but they both have strengths and weaknesses. I think more three-point shooting 
uh, both from those guys and also around them, more space in general, more pace from Quinn will all help. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's obviously a very clear thing to say and a, a sort of a captain obvious thing, but they have to be good together or this one, it doesn't matter. Like they, they traded so much for Murray that if this doesn't work again in year two, they, by the way, they also paid Murray in the offseason, which we should also point out. It was a deal that everybody, even if you don't love Murray, it was kind of a bargain contract. Like I was surprised he signed it. Everybody kind of was surprised he signed it, but they also invested in for four years. So uh, it's a high wire act. They're going to, they're kind of, they're not all in, but they're definitely uh, getting towards that with this group. So I, uh, We'll see is the not sexy answer at all, but they, it has to work or it's not going to work big picture. And, and I, I guess I, I want to get to that big picture. Like what, what, what happens? We, we, we talked about the best case scenario for Atlanta. What, what happens if things, I don't even want to say are a disaster because I, I think unless like you same caveat you could have for every team, unless there are major injuries, like that's not going to happen. I, I think at the very least they're going to play around 500 basketball, but if it's the third straight year, that third straight year of, all right, maybe they, they take the Celtics to six games. They take the Bucks to six games, like whatever it is in the first round, if that happens again, and it, it just pretty clear, like, all right, this, the outline of this team, whether it's Trey Bogdanovich, Capella, Deandre Hunter it is kind of tapped out. Does that mean Trey's gone? Does that mean everyone around him is gone? Like what would happen the following off season if it's if it's kind of just a deja vu year for Atlanta. Yeah, I think part of that nuance is like, is it a four or five series they lose? Like if they're if they're if they're the five seed and they lose in the yeah. first round, that's a step forward. It's not great, but it's a step forward. You know what I mean? If they win forty seven games, losing the first round like that, no one would be happy with that. But it, I could I could frame that as a as a step in the right direction. If they are in the play in again and lose as the eight seed again then the alarm bells really start going off. Like, okay, this experiment is not necessarily failed, but they're going to have to make more major changes because look, the Hawks didn't really do much of anything this offseason. They made one trade and it actually made them worse. They traded John Collins for money reasons and fit reasons for sure. And John wasn't a great fit, but he's a good basketball player and they traded him for nothing. And that doesn't usually make you better. Now, obviously they have some young guys coming up, Jalen Johnson, AJ Griffin, Sadiq Bay, all these guys. But to answer your question, I think as far as I'm concerned, as far as I've ever heard, Trey is not going to be in any danger of being shipped out unless he demands to be, which you know this very well, monitoring the league. Guys can usually get out. They don't always get out right away. We've seen that now with Dame. We've seen that now with Harden. But guys will usually make their way out within a year if they want to be, if they want to make it public anyway. But short of that, I'd be surprised, and this could change. I'm not saying it couldn't. I'd be surprised if the Hawks were looking to trade Trey Young unless he wanted to be traded at any point in the near future. So there's that. I think if it were to not go go well go well this year for non-injury reasons, I think you'd see on the margins changes. You'd see maybe DeJounte would be available next summer, that kind of thing. Uh, more more big picture. You know, Capella and McDonough are the older guys on this team. But I think it'd be a more clear overhaul around Trey, unless Trey made noise that he wanted out. Again, I'm not saying, you know, every month or so we get a Lakers interested in Trey Young report, and it's just like – until that happens, it happens. But for now, as on the Hawks side, I'd be surprised if they want to trade Trey. It, it would be more, though, again, like either more aggressive to push in. Like we saw the Siakam rumors this offseason. That, that would have been a much bigger move. Something like that, going the other way, going even further in, or maybe a retooling on the margins. I'm not really sure which one of those it would be, but I still think it would be Trey. And then uh, everything around Trey is, uh, is what kind of goes into flux. So you, you took the words out of my mouth. Could could the Siakam thing still happen this year? I mean, it, it, yeah. uh, obviously Atlanta, Atlanta was the name that was thrown out there. And and to me, from a Knicks perspective, like where, where my concern about Atlanta as a Knicks opponent would escalate if all of a sudden, oh, wow, Trey Young and Pascal Siakam, I mean, two, two guys that 
can kill you in, in, in a seven-game series and are exceptionally talented. Like, you throw DeJounte into that mix. All of a sudden, like, you look at the top three for the Knicks and the top three for the Hawks, and you, you say, all right, the Hawks, like, have better frontline talent than we've seen the Knicks. Um, whatever you think about the Cavs, like, maybe able to overcome that. And, and like, I think that would be a great series. But that, that at least in my mind, for the Knicks, and, and maybe even for some other teams in the East, would change the equation. But wh- where is that at? And, and I guess what were kind of the breaking points and like if, like if there were talks and they did get advanced there? Yeah, I mean, part of it is that Siakam is making it known to everyone, either him or his camp, that he doesn't really want to be traded. And yeah. it's kind of the opposite of Harden and Dame, whereas, like, your, your star is, like, really getting it out there. Like even to people like me, who are like not like the leading, you know what I mean? Like I, I heard multiple sources like, Hey, he doesn't want to be trained and not just to Atlanta. It wasn't just Atlanta. Like he, he wants to stay in Toronto. Hmm. And if you're telling everyone, Hey, I don't want to be traded and B, I won't sign an extension. If you trade for me, teams are going to not give up as much as the Raptors want for him. So that's the big picture of why it didn't happen. The Hawks also kind of maybe drew in the line in the sand, which they should. I mean, he's got one year left on his contract. And with all, all the stuff I just said about not wanting to resign necessarily, and look, do I think he probably would re-sign if they traded for him? Yeah, I kind of do. Like most of the time, guys sign with the team that they're already on because they get more money. It, it is what it is. But if you don't have that assurance, and in fact, you have the opposite of that assurance if you're the Hawks, you kind of have to draw the line and say, all right, this is our best offer. We're not going any further. And that wasn't enough for Toronto. And that makes sense on all sides. I, I kind of get it. Like the Raptors are, it's not a Raptors podcast. I don't really know what they're doing directionally i don't really understand the raptors as a general process right now but they don't want to trade siakam and i get that he's an all-star he's an all-star little player he's really good could it happen again yeah sure i mean if toronto lowers their asking price or if siakam's side maybe stops being so firm and not wanting to be traded or the raptors are just bad early in the year and they just kind of wave the white flag finally and kind of trade everybody or the hawks trade more and they get more desperate all those things could happen and, uh, you know, as soon as things kind of cooled down in like late, like mid, late July, it was really hot for like a week, maybe two weeks. And then once it didn't happen, I'm like, eh, this probably won't happen. And if it does, it's going to be maybe into the season or maybe into training camp. So we're kind of back in the range where it could happen again. I just don't think that I think it would have already happened if it was going to happen during the summer. But again, if Toronto's not very good, they should be more active to trade him. And I think the Hawks, if they're playing well, are still active and trying to quote unquote buy to make themselves better because I think they know deep down this team right now is not a contender. If you add Siakam, you could talk yourself into that. I'm not saying that they would immediately become that, but that's at least a move that says, hey, we're going to go get another, another top 25, top 30 guy in the league on this team. That would be obviously a big signal. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's the luxury of having Trey is that you have a guy you can always talk yourself into like, hey, if he's hot for the right five-game stretch, he could be the best player in any series. And that, that's that's kind of been the brilliance of Miami. We've seen it. Who, who yeah. has a very different infrastructure, obviously, but Jimmy Butler, like regular season, you would have him, like you were talking about player ratings, you would probably have him in the 30s um, based on just his, or, or 20s is probably more reasonable, like based on what he does in the regular season. And then the playoffs, like he could be the best guy against almost anyone in the league, as it turns out, which is, is pretty incredible. And 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 an asset that like, if, if you have that in your possession, you can always kind of say like, what the hell? Like, let, let's, let's like, I don't, I don't care how small the odds are. Let's, let, let's shoot our shot here. And I, I think Atlanta could get to that point this year, especially with the uncertainty heading into future seasons, especially if there's a slow start to the year. The other thing that really interests me with Atlanta is some of the younger guys. AJ Griffin was someone um, I remember last offseason from a Knicks perspective. We were talking about a whole lot, a uh, New York kid uh, from Archbishop Stepanak in Westchester. Um, and every expectation I had for him as a rookie, like, I, it's hard to say he blew it out of the water because he just didn't play enough. But when he was on the court, like the talent was just obvious. And, and, and you know better than I do, Brad. He, he's someone 
I'm super high on. Where does he fit into the mix? Where does Jalen Johnson fit into the mix with some really good flashes? Where, where does Kobe Bufkin, who, based on what you said and based on what I've heard, oh, like obviously I don't think ultimately held up a Pascal Siakam trade, but I, I know that was a note that was out there. Yeah. So where, where do all these young guys kind of fit into the mix for Atlanta this year? For sure. I mean, number one, Griffin, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I like AJ quite a bit. That was a heist in the draft. He only fell that far because of injury concerns. And, you know, knock on wood, his rookie year, there were no injury concerns. And that, that's great. It's one year, but it's great. He was able to play without really any questions. And that's that's fantastic. Uh, also, he's that archetype of like, he's not a super, super athletic guy for a wing, but he's got, he's six 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 seven. He's got bulk, potential for two-way. He can shoot. Like he checks all those boxes that every team wants on the wing. Um, he'll play a big role this year. Uh, probably, I mean, he's going to be off the bench, but certainly a, an evolving role. And Jalen Johnson is a guy that might even start for them at some point this year. I don't know if he's going to start opening night because they have Sadiq Bay too. But um, those two guys, I've often said that for them to hit their ceiling like two years from now, if they don't make another big move for a Siakam or something like that and kind of roll with this team, they need one of them, maybe even both of those guys, to really kind of pop and take a next yeah. step. And that's not fair to them, but it's just what it is. It's You, you kind of just need that internal guy to jump. And I, I like Griffin probably the most, but J- Johnson's talent as a 6'10 guy who can – you know, dribble, dribble and pass and defend and flatten on the court and all that stuff. He's, he's a very, very attractive player. And they'll both play real roles this year. Bufkin, um, you mentioned Bufkin is like that. I think it, he was not the hold up in a, in a Raptors trade. That kind of got floated out there. The Hawks didn't want to trade him. I mean, he, they just drafted the guy. I mean, that's not a huge surprise. You, you take a guy at 15, you usually like the guy that you just drafted. Yeah. And I think it was more of a case of like, they were already offering AJ Griffin, which was a lot for the Hawks to offer in their mind. And they were like, no, you can't have both of Griffin and Bufkin, if that makes sense. That, that's what I understand. I'm not reporting that. That's my sure. guess on the outside. Yeah. It was um, very similar last where we had the Donovan Mitchell stuff and everyone's like, wow, yeah. you won't trade Quentin Grimes for Donovan Mitchell? <laughs> LOL. It's like, no, we won't trade Quentin Grimes and nine picks for Donovan yeah. Mitchell. But yeah, sorry. It, it's, no, that's, that's exactly it. I mean, I'm not, I'm sure if the deal was DeAndre Hunter and Kobe Bufkin for, uh, Pascal Siakam, and that was it. They would have, they would have done it. Sure. Uh, but maybe I should, maybe I should, I shouldn't say I'm sure. I'm, uh, I believe that would have happened if that was the I agree deal. With you. So it wasn't yeah. like they were just saying you can't, you cannot have Kobe Bufkin. Um, anyway, I like Kobe Bufkin a lot, but as a rookie, is he going to play much? Probably not, unless there's an injury to to Dejounte or even Trey or something like that. There just aren't like clear pathway to minutes for a guy like that. And you know this, rookies are not good usually. Occasionally, a guy will be good, but for a team that's trying to win now, like the Knicks, like the Hawks who are like, they're not, there's, this is not development time anymore for these teams necessarily. Um, the gifted minutes that, you know, the Hawks, I, I just covered a Hawks rebuild for several years and like first round picks were just gifted minutes. Like here's 30 minutes, do, do whatever you're going to do. Those, those, t- that, that time is long gone now. Like that's not going to happen. And I think Bufkin might not, he wouldn't embarrass himself if he, had, if he had to play now. But I think if you look up and down the roster, even guys like they got Patty Mills on this team now. Is Patty Mills great? No, but Patty Mills is a professional basketball player. Like, you'd probably trust Patty Mills. Wes Matthews is a different player. He's more of a wing, obviously. But, you know, they don't have – they got Bogey. They got Griffin. They got all these guys that are kind of ahead of them. So, uh, young guys are going to matter, I think, long-term especially. But even this year, you'll see Griffin especially and Johnson play real roles. And um, I, I keep saying they're forward positions. Like, the three and the four are the under-discussed nationally about this Hawks team. That's what's going to actually make or break this team, in my opinion. Like, we can talk about Trey all day long or talk about Capella or DeJounte – if they don't get anything from DeAndre Hunter or Johnson or Griffin or Sadiq Bay, then they, you know, that's two spots that they, they, they have a lot of uncertainty with. So they're going to have to get something from those guys. They're all fairly young, 25 or younger, pretty much. And uh, I keep circling that quartet of players, Hunter Bay, Griffin and Johnson. It's like a pretty interesting pivot point for this team. I, I was, I remember 
obviously it was, it was, it was a pick pick after RJ um, when, when DeAndre Hunter was drafted. And yep. I was like, oh man, what a steal for Atlanta. Like if you wanted to build <laughs> an archetype for around Trey Young, right? You want this long-limbed, freakish defender who can shoot, create a little bit on the other end. Like that's going to be a fun duo for years to come. And maybe and some, some Knicks fans will get angry at me for saying this, but maybe similar to RJ, <laughs> I feel like there have been moments, there have been flashes, there there have been stretches where you're like, um, like this is kind of what we wanted from DeAndre Hunter. Like he's, he's going to be that guy, but it's just never been consistent enough. They need him to be. And I'm almost wondering like, all right, does that ultimately mean long-term like that's AJ Griffin's spot to go win if, if they, they kind of have to have more from Hunter. And it's one of those things where I don't want to make it as simple as this, but um, he has not been a starting level small forward on a good team to this point. Now he's been their starter for three plus seasons at that spot, but he has not performed to that level to where if he wasn't a top five pick, if he wasn't uh, someone they invested so heavily in that they would have just rolled with him this entire time. I feel like he has been um, given a long leash and look, he's not a bad player. He's not. But the, 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 there's sort of a, a divide, I think, still ongoing between like what he actually is and what people think that he has been if they don't watch him every day or if they see him on the right night and he makes his jump shots and he has 22 points in a playoff game or whatever. Um, it's interesting to me, like there's a there's a divide there between like what he actually is and what he um, maybe purports to be or maybe people think, people think that he is um, outside. But yeah, it's a, it's a big year for him. They already paid him, so that's something. Um, there's going to be pressure on him as someone who's already been extended at a real number, a starting money kind of number. And, um, you know, he's really important for them defensively because of, you know, not to belabor the point, but they have all these guys who I would describe as probably below average to be kind perimeter defenders. And he kind of has to piece it all together. Him and Jalen Johnson are really the guys, and maybe DeJounte Murray, if he bounces back on the end of the floor, are really the guys that they're going to have to get more of, um, more from, I should say, defensively to make up for your trays and your Bogdanoviches and your Sadiq Bays And even, even Griffin probably at this point is a negative defender. So, um, you know, I think that Hunter just needs to be out there and like, maybe he's never going to be this guy who creates a ton of havoc defensively. He's never going to be this guy who is a great passer, but um, making the simpler plays, maybe taking more threes, being more fun, kind of being more sound defensively, um, rebounding a little bit better, that kind of stuff, just kind of incremental improvements and, I think that he kind of is what he is. I think the breakout given his age is not going to happen at this point, but I think if he can kind of just prove to be a starting caliber, small forward, that's kind of all he has to be, especially if if that's sort of a a defense first bet. Okay. My other big rotation question is this, am I wrong for every time I watch the Hawks play? I just, I want Onyeko Kongwu to be out there for 30 minutes a game. And that's not to say that Clint Capella isn't awesome because he is, but Okongwu obviously much younger and, and just seems like the long-term solution at that position. And I'm, I'm almost surprised, and maybe that's a testament to what Clint's done over the last few years, he hasn't been given an opportunity to take that starting job. Yeah, I think that eventually Okongwu is going to be a starting center for this team. That, that's not a huge surprise. I, I do think uh, the way you kind of teed it up is funny because Hawks fans – have this battle. And I find myself defending Capella a lot because Capella is really good. That's the thing. Clint Capella is not an exciting player, but he's very good and he's very well respected. He's a good defender. He's a great rebounder. Trailer's playing with him. Great screen setter, all those things. Like he's just kind of boring. And Okongwu is the next thing. And he's really young and he's really fun. And he's, by the way, importantly, very good. And they have two guys at this spot. Like it's just not a, I mean, I guess you, he probably would do it. He's, he's a great guy, but you know what I mean? Like he's just, he's too good to do that. And I think that 
the way to pave the way for Kongwu is to trade Capella. And that's not a huge surprise. In fact, I, I've said this before. I'm I'm kind of shocked that they're still both on the team heading into year four of Kongwu. When they drafted Kongwu, I would have been very, very, very surprised that to have this combination of, of Kongwu being good, which I think we already know he is good, and also having the fact that, you know, Kongwu being good and the fact that Capella's still on the team in year four is like so weird to me. And that happened. And that's unfortunate for all parties involved, but there you go. And uh, yeah, I think that, you know, it's a, it's a strength that they have. They're, uh, they're good. Uh, having two guys, is not a bad thing, but they have probably invested too much in that one spot. Like objectively to have a top six pick and a guy who's like a quality starting center in Capella. Eventually they're gonna have to clear the decks. And again, I'm, I'm surprised it hasn't happened already, but eventually it's going to be a Conway's job, whether it's, you know, by the deadline this year or whether it's next year or what they're gonna have to trade Capella at some point And it's, it's coming. All right, Brad. All that being said, uh, win prediction for the Hawks this year, playoff finish, and uh, we, we've thrown this one in just, just, to, just to create a little spice at the end. Uh, prediction for season series against the Knicks. They play three games against each other this year. Ooh, uh, 46 wins is my get, which might seem high. The overrunner is 41 and a half. I think high, I, I, I like the over, I'll say that. 40, I'm, less, I'm less confident on a 46 than I am about liking the over on the Hawks on the Hawks win total um, combination of Snyder and all that stuff. Um, where that puts them in the East is probably like you know the six seed, seven seed, something like that. Six seed uh, could be as high as four or five. Wouldn't surprise me. Um, top three would kind of surprise me, but like maybe um, season series. Do you know if there are two in Atlanta or two in New York out of the three games? I got important check question. I, I know they play. I think this is fun. They play the second game of the year. So we're going to get some early yeah. input on all. Of that's our the home opener for the Hawks, um, I believe. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I think that you know, there, there's a reason New York has a higher win total than they get. Atlanta they get does. two at home, Brad. Okay, uh, two, two so that makes it harder. If it had been two in New York, I would have said New York. I would have said New York two one. Uh, man, two at home. It's like 50-50. because I, I feel like the Knicks regular season wise in particular are better than the Hawks. It's just that um, because of the depth they have New York's, I mean, I know, you know, this. the depth of the Knicks is impressive. They have what, 10 guys that you trust anyway. um, I'll say, you know what? I'll be a homer for once in my life. Two one Hawks. Everybody wins at home. The most cop out answer of all time. There you go. I got to go because I would, (laughs) I I think I'd be run out of town and maybe tarred and feathered. If I said, if I said two one Hawks, I'm going to, I'm going to go two one, two one Knicks for my own safety. Uh, Brad Roland. Thank you so much. Uh, Before I let you go. um, Can you just tell everyone uh, where they can find all all your great work? Yeah. uh, Lots on Hawks, obviously same places you can find lots on Knicks. You can find it lots on Hawks uh, anywhere. Also on Twitter slash X, whatever we call that this, this time of year slash millennium at lots on Hawks there as well at PT rolling for me and yeah, all the Hawk stuff, uh, hopefully not too much of a Homer. And, uh, yeah, I can't talk about the whole league. I've been doing a whole series on over-unders across the East. So not just Hawks, just 95% Hawks, 5% Eastern conference and other things, but, uh, yeah, we find, find us all there and I'm sure we'll talk again in some other form. I appreciate it. Yeah. You, you know what? Nick's heart Hawks part two would, would be a movie. I think it would be, especially, especially with Jalen Brunson. We, we, we kind of brought a, a knife to a gunfight last time around this time, but it'll, <laughs> it'll be a little bit more even, but, uh, for Brad, I'm Gavin Charles was locked on Knicks and locked on Hawks. We will talk to you all soon. Life two one Hawks. Everybody wins at home. The most cop out right. answer of all time. There you go. All right. I, I gotta go because I would. <laughs> I, I think I'd be run out of town and maybe tarred and feathered if I said if I said two one Hawks. I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm right. gonna go two one two one Knicks for my own safety. Uh, Brad yes. Roland, thank you so much. Uh, before I let you go, um, can you just tell everyone uh, where they can find all, all your great work? 
Yeah, uh, Lothan Hawks, obviously, same place as you can find Lothan Knicks. You can find it at Lothan Hawks uh, anywhere, also on Twitter slash X, whatever we call that this this time of year slash millennium, at Lothan Hawks there as well, at BT Rolling for me. And yeah, all the Hawks stuff, uh, hopefully not too much of a homer. And uh, yeah, I can't talk about the whole league. I've been doing a whole series on over-unders across the East, so not just Hawks, just 95% Hawks, 5% Eastern Conference and other things. But uh, yeah, we find, find us all there, and I'm sure we'll talk again in some other form. I appreciate yeah, you. Yeah, you know what? Nick's Hawks Part 2 would, would be a movie. I think it would be, especially, especially with Jalen Brunson. We we, we kind of brought a, a knife to a gunfight last time around. This time, uh, it'll, <laughs> it'll be a little bit more even. But uh, for Brad, I'm Gavin Shaw. This was Locked on Knicks and Locked on Hawks. We will talk to you all soon.